Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash BND. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Welcome to this Peer Voice activity on hepatocellular carcinoma surveillance in patients with hepatitis B. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Maria Buti and Dr. Kosh Agarwal. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, my name is Kosh Agarwal. I'm a consultant hepatologist at the Institute of Liver Studies at King's College Hospital in London. Welcome to this activity on surveillance for hepatocellular carcinoma in patients with chronic hepatitis B. Joining me for this informative discussion is my colleague and friend, Professor Maria Buti, Professor of Medicine and Consultant of Hepatology at the Valdebron University Hospital in Barcelona, Spain. Welcome, Maria. Thanks, Kosh. Many thanks for having me today. Chronic hepatitis B, it's an important health problem. The global burden of chronic hepatitis B is very high. More than 200 million people living with chronic hepatitis B worldwide. More than 800,000 deaths every year. What is important is the number of hepatocellular carcinomas are increasing. Now is the third most deadly cancer type. So really an important problem. The majority of these hepatocellular carcinomas are related to chronic hepatitis B. There are several factors associated with a higher risk of developing hepatocellular carcinoma in people with chronic hepatitis B. The most important is the presence of cirrhosis or advanced fibrosis. Other factors are disease activity and host factors, comorbidities, such as alcohol or co-infection with other viruses like hepatitis delta or hepatitis C. Maria, hepatitis B has an effect on promoting cancer. Can you tell us a little bit more about why hepatitis B is oncogenic? Yes, you are right. Hepatitis B is an oncogenic virus. Hepatitis B contributes to hepatocellular carcinoma development through a direct and indirect mechanism. HBB DNA integration into the host genome occurs at early steps of the clonal tumor expansion and induces both genomic stability and mutagenic effects of diverse cancer-related genes. One of these is the protein X, and the protein X, we know now that the gene is endowed with tumor promoter activity. In patients with chronic hepatitis B, particularly in non-serotic patients, these alterations can induce liver transformation and have an oncogenic effect, in addition to the liver necroinflammation that is usually in all patients with liver damage. Because we know that in the early phases of the infection, hepatitis B is promoting clonal expansion and these alterations, chromosome instability and mutagenesis, so why not prevent development of liver cirrhosis and hepatocellular carcinoma? 
A very good point, Maria. Vaccination, which is what you're alluding to, is really critical as a platform in us trying to prevent hepatitis B and that onward transmission is utterly mandated in the WHO guidelines. That is the primary prevention that we have, and it prevents mother-child transmission and also prevents exposure to infectious bodily fluids. This demonstrates very clearly that hepatitis B birth vaccination reduces the incidence of chronic hepatitis B and related HCC. This study is from China on the left, and if you look to the right, from Taiwan. These really show an impact of vaccination with regard to HCC. In itself, as a strategy, it's not abrogating all the new infections that we're seeing and the complications. So Maria, my question back to you is, what are we going to do with all the patients who are already infected? The number of patients infected with hepatitis B is very large, and these patients are at risk of disease progression and develop hepatocellular carcinoma. The best way to prevent or at least to reduce the risk of developing hepatocellular carcinoma is to treat these patients using oral antivirals or a nucleoside or nucleotide analogs. These are safe drugs, potent suppression of viral replication, achieving a decrease of hepatic inflammation and fibrosis, and therefore preventing or reducing liver complications and the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. These drugs don't completely abolish the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma, but have an important effect decreasing or reducing the progression. Maria, that's very interesting and shows how effective oral nucleoside nucleotides are. Is there any evidence to show that certain antivirals may be better than others in preventing or reducing the progression to liver cancer or HCC? Very difficult question. Currently, we use three different antivirals, Entecavir, TTF, or TAF. There are several studies looking if there are any difference between a nucleoside or a nucleotide analog. In Asian patients, there are some studies suggesting that tenofovir will be associated with a lower risk of hepatocellular carcinoma than entecavir. But in another Asian studies, the results were not corroborated. In the European study, there is no difference between TDF or entecavir. So some difference, but inconclusive. Thank you, Maria, for taking us through the data that demonstrates there's no clear difference between the different antivirals and their impact on incidence of HCC in patients with hepatitis B. I'd like to move a little bit now and talk about how the professional societies advise us that we should undertake and how frequently we should undertake HCC surveillance for our patients with chronic hepatitis B. All the guidelines have the same recommendation, performed surveillance using ultrasound. It's a guidelines, ultrasounds alone. American guidelines, the recommendation is ultrasounds with or without alpha fetoprotein testing. A puzzle guidelines that probably have the largest experience with hepatocellular carcinoma, the recommendation is to perform ultrasounds and alpha fetoprotein detection. This has to be done every six months. That's very useful, Maria, but who should we be screening and what do the guidelines tell us? Can I ask? This is easy because clearly all patients with liver cirrhosis need to be screening for hepatocellular carcinoma. 
Then the second important aspect is those patients with chronic hepatitis B without liver cirrhosis. There is some disagreement between guidelines. Asian patients need to have surveillance for hepatocellular carcinoma. Black men over 40. Asian women also recommendation for screening for hepatocellular carcinoma over 50. Everybody agree that family history of hepatocellular carcinoma is a risk factor and therefore the relatives need to have screening. Co-infection with hepatitis delta, it's another aspect. I like the ESL guidelines because they introduce a new parameter that is the use of scores to identify patients at high risk or intermediate risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. So in summary, all patients with liver cirrhosis and selected patients with chronic hepatitis in relation to the risk of developing HCC. Thank you very much, Maria. Chronic hepatitis B is still the most frequent cause of hepatocellular carcinoma HCC worldwide. Chronic hepatitis B can be prevented with vaccination, but we still need effective antiviral suppression, which we have, which no doubt improves patient outcomes and decreases but doesn't abrogate the risk of liver cancer. Whether one type of nucleotide analog treatment is superior to another in reducing that risk of developing HCC in patients with chronic hepatitis B is a topic of intense debate and review at this moment in time. As Maria stated, there's no clear guidance to say that one is superior to another. Most importantly, I leave you with the summary point that patients with hepatitis B and with the moderate or high degree of risk of developing HCC need to be monitored in a specialist environment, need to be undergoing HCC surveillance with ultrasound scan and alpha-beta-protein and need to be monitored and understand that risk of liver cancer. Maria, thank you so much for your help with this. Thank you very much. Hello, I am Maria Butti. I am professor of medicine and consultant of internal medicine and hepatology at the Hospital Vallebron University in Barcelona, Spain. Welcome to this activity on screening for hepatocellular carcinoma in patients with chronic hepatitis B. Joining me in this discussion is my friend and colleague, Professor Kosh Agarbal, consultant hepatology at King College Hospital London. Hello, Kosh. Thank you so much, Maria, for the kind introduction and for involving me in this important educational resource. When we talk about screening for HCC in patients with hepatitis B, it's not only important to target our screening at those patients who are at risk of developing HCC, but also to not provide resource and screening to those who will not develop HCC in the populations of patients we see. To introduce where we're at with regard to the current screening methods, we have ultrasonography and alpha-beta protein. Both of these have the advantage of being inexpensive and widely available. Ultrasound scan is non-invasive, but they have limitations in that there may be variable quality with regard to different operators and the effect of obesity. Likewise, with alpha-beta protein, it has a very low sensitivity and specificity. We really need to risk stratify our patient cohorts in a better way so we can target our resources and efforts in a more focused manner. Let me dig in a little bit more and give you some more prediction factors of HCC risk in patients with chronic hepatitis B. We know from the REVEAL study 
that increasing serum levels of HBV is clearly associated with an increased HCC risk. We know that fluctuating low-level viremia is also associated with an increased HCC risk. So really, it coalesces around the markers such as surface antigen and the level of DNA and the fluctuations that will influence the risk of HCC. Secondarily, the influence of liver disease grade and inflammation as reflected on the gradient of ALT, also levels of fibrosis can have a predictive effect on the risk of HCC in patients with hepatitis B. Gosh, it's nice to have this list of different factors related with the risk of HCC. But are there more sophisticated tools for stratifications? Thank you, Maria. That's a really important and good question. There's no doubt that the guidance from the societies really opens up a huge proportion of patients that we should be doing screening on. We really need to take the risk stratification to a higher level and apply more sophistication to the scores that we have. There are several scores that have been generated, and I very much like the easel guidelines because they involve and calculate these scores. The ones that I think are most well published and established are the ReachB, the MReachB, and the PageB scores. You can see that most of these scores, gender, DNA level and level of liver disease or liver stiffness seem to be the major drivers of the risk and the scoring system to meet a threshold of should we screen or should we not screen. There's no doubt that ethnic background is also applicable. We're aware that different populations globally may come with their own risk of liver cancer. So Maria, let me come back to you. Do you use these clinical scores in practice? Yes, but I think it's important to know how these scores were developed. For example, RICHB is a score developed in Asian patients in a community setting, and the majority of patients didn't have liver cirrhosis or were receiving treatment. While the PHB score was developed in Europe, in Caucasian patients, the majority treated in the hospitals, mainly liver cirrhosis. Among these scores, I use the PHB score because it's easy. It's only gender, age, and platelet levels. And also because the majority of my patients with chronic hepatitis B are under treatment. So for me, PHB score is very useful. And we have data that can predict the risk of developing HCC, not only in the next five years, also in the next 10 years. That's very helpful, Maria. Can you tell us about any other scores, such as the AMAP score I've heard about? Do you think that has value? Yes. yes. One limitation of the PHB score is that now we are starting a lot of patients from sub-Saharan countries. In this population, the PHB score is not very well validated. In addition to hepatitis B, the other diseases that are associated with risk of hepatocellular carcinoma, such as hepatitis C or metabolic liver disease. For this reason, new scores such as AMAP are important. The AMAP score is based on age, 
male albumin bilirubin and platelet levels. It's helping develop among more than 70,000 patients with viral and non-viral hepatitis and has an excellent discrimination and calibration in assessing the five years risk of HCC, regardless of etiology of liver disease and ethnicity. I think it's a good score for the future Thank you, Maria. That's another important clinical-based score that we should be adopting and using in the future in all of our clinics, not just our hepatitis B clinics. I want to come back to the area of discussion, which is hepatitis B, because it brings with it that additional risk of liver cancer and HCC, and that is why we are discussing surveillance. We've discussed some of the clinical-based scores, but I want to talk about this evolution now of using either serum protein biomarkers, blood-based biomarkers, or viral biomarkers that we can also put into various score systems to perhaps give us more than just the clinical basis, but also the mechanistic and translational understanding of what is happening on a cellular level. There's an array of different protein, blood-based and viral markers ranging from alpha-fetoprotein to PIFCA to blood-based biomarkers such as tumor-associated mRNAs. Given the oncogenic nature of hepatitis B, the importance of viral biomarkers such as correlated antigen, CCC DNA level, genotype, and even pre-genomic RNA can be relevant in other scoring systems that can tell us what the specific risk is for a patient in front of us developing HCC. I am really interested in serum protein biomarkers. Can you tell us about the GALA score based particularly in protein biomarkers? Thanks, Maria. Another good question. I believe the Galad score is another score that is going to come into our clinical practice. This looks at a combination of protein biomarkers, that's alpha protein DCP and alpha protein L3, a subset of alpha protein. This is now being developed commercially and looking at this together as opposed to individually in a Caucasian cohort, it seemed to really perform quite well with regard to its prediction of risk of HCC, independent of tumor burden, extent of liver disease and viral load, slightly different level of stratification risk from a patient perspective. I thank you, Kosh, for reviewing these scores for predicting the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. I would like to summarize saying that each patient with chronic hepatitis B has a different risk to hepatocellular carcinoma progression. The modality for screening this risk includes ultrasounds and alpha-fetoprotein. This is the classical way, but there are a series of clinical and biomarker risk stratification scores available, which can be applied in clinical practice. These scores have a high predictive power in certain populations for detecting hepatocellular carcinoma. A more evolved stratification of risk and guidance on how to apply it clinically need to be developed. Thank you for listening. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.